Hello, everybody. I know it's been a while since you have heard from me. Uh, things have been a little crazy lately with uh, what has happened in Puerto Rico and the ongoing conversation uh, or what I would call racial tensions in our own country. Uh, our uh, POTUS saying things that are alarming and at the same time uh, hilarious because I couldn't think of things that come out of his mouth uh, it would take me a whole lifetime to say some of the things that he says just in a matter of a day. But uh, that's for another time and another conversation. Today, I'm here with my friend Eric Laney. Eric and I have known each other for a long time, uh, but have really gotten close over the last year, maybe a little bit longer than a year. And uh, he's a brother to me, and uh, we challenge each other. And so, Eric, it's so good to have you here with me today, bro. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. Well, bro, I, I want this to be really conversational style. You and I have spoken about a lot of stuff. Yep. And uh, uh, the issue of race has come up in a lot of our conversations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's been good for me to get the perspective of a white male in the United States, uh, I'm sure that the things that I've, that I've said have caused uh, probably some tensions in your mind. Uh, but, uh, you know, just give us, give us a synopsis of our time together uh, as far as this conversation of race. And, uh, you know, your, your, if anything, your feedback from when we started having this conversation to today. Okay, well, um, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean... Um, when we first got to know each other, um, it was in a completely different context. I had just started doing youth ministry for the church where I had been attending for a long time. And I knew that you had done youth ministry before. And so I just sort of needed some pointers. I, I was caught like a deer in headlights and just really was kind of panicking uh, I, I knew very, very clearly that I was not equipped for what I had taken on. But you were able to give me some tips, and that was how we first got to know each other. Uh, but as time went by, uh, we, we found that there were other things as well that we enjoyed talking about. Uh, we, we both needed somebody that was a brother in Christ who could just keep us accountable. And so it was a, a wonderful thing. I had looked for somebody that could be that accountability partner for me, and just nothing had really clicked with anybody until we started hanging out a little more. And it was a refreshing uh, thing to find someone that, just for whatever reason, and I think it was the Holy Spirit, that we connected in a way that I had not connected with anybody else in the ability to just be open and honest about what's going on in my life, in my marriage, with my kids. And uh, and that's kind of where we got started. And it seemed a, a natural progression as we talked about these other things. I mean, it's a part of who we are. And so when we start talking about what's going on in life, it's naturally going to include some of these things that deal with race and culture and these other things. Awesome. And, and I agree. Uh, the, uh, the relationship that uh, the Lord has forged and continues to forge between us is healthy. It's healthy for me in the same uh, that I can, I can be vulnerable. I can tell you what's going on in my life. 
and you've never given me that weird look of, I can't believe that you are doing that or going through that or thinking that. And uh, so for that, I'm thankful. Oh, that's and, just my poker face. Oh, okay. You're, part, bro, you're, <laughs> you're better than Lady Gaga. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you got that one, Eric, but she wrote that. No. Okay. Yeah. She sang that song, Poker Face. Anyways, uh, before we digress, um, I know that we started hanging out more uh, a little bit before the election came yep. about. That's and so true. we would have conversations about that. And while I don't want this to be political, we began to see already in uh, the sound bites that were coming out that something was going to be different. Uh, we, we kept on hearing yeah. this, this, uh, this uh, hashtag MAGA. And, uh, you know, I began to think, what does MAGA mean? Because although I did not live through the civil rights, neither of us did because we were, we were too young. Yeah. I know that watching, uh, watching you know, YouTube videos or watching some PBS shows, uh, the, the civil rights movement wasn't, uh, it wasn't very pretty. Yeah. And the things that, that, uh, that both people of color and white people who were on the side of of those leaders that were, uh, you know, uh, starting the civil rights movement, uh, they experienced some pretty crazy stuff. So I know that when, when we begin to hear the sound bites of Trump coming in and his, uh, in essence, his uh, tagline, make America great again, I know that I began to have some concerns and I remember mm -hmm. you sharing some stuff with me, but that was the time frame that we began to talk. And then, uh, the conversations about race began to pick up yeah. between us. And uh, I know that at first, uh, whether you understood it in the capacity that you probably understand it now, uh, I think that it's evolving. And I think that things are becoming a little bit more um, forthright in what I would call a tension unlike I've ever seen. I think, and this is my opinion, that the tensions are greater now uh, than ever in my lifetime. Yeah. Well, and so a, a couple of things. I mean, you're, you're right about the time frame and that the election was really kind of what brought it to the forefront in our conversations. Um, but at the same time, I don't I don't want to make this into, you know, let's all jump on Trump and bash on him because really he is just a, a symptom of what goes on in the culture at large. That's good. He would never have been elected if there weren't millions of people out there that were okay with what he's saying. Hmm. And so it's not really so much about him. I mean, there are things that we could say about the way in which he communicates that are very specifically about him, but that's not really beneficial to this conversation. Um, but we also, we want to be sure that what we're, what we're saying is the, the trends and the patterns of the way that he communicates indicates things that reflect what other people are thinking. And so having, I mean, it, you, you mentioned that I am a white man. Uh, I am, it, it's actually bigger than that because I have born and raised in Tampa, uh, which for people who aren't familiar with Florida, um, 
Tampa is kind of on that line between south and north because in Florida, the further south you go, the more northern you get. And so in Tampa, Tampa is a very southern city. So being straight white male in the south, uh, you know, my, my education in the culture was very southern. And so listening to the things that were said during the election, it meant something to me that I was able to kind of pick out these phrases. It's almost like a, a coded language that when somebody says, you know, we're going to make America great again, uh, a lot of people I really felt like never even asked what that meant. They never considered what what is that supposed to look like? What is it that we've lost that we're trying to regain? What is it that um, that he's really talking about? And for me, when I'm hearing not just that phrase, because that phrase by itself doesn't really mean anything, but then you hear it in the context of we're, we're very concerned about people who are not American. We're concerned about people who don't look like us or think like us or, or really worship like us. And it was entirely in the context of race and religion and ethnicity. And those were the things that started to concern me because when we, when we look at make America great again, and that means to make it look like this. And that's where it really started to make my ears prick up and pay attention to what was going on. And the, the second thing that really got under my skin, I guess, is the way to say it, is that even if you consider these phrases, these campaign slogans, just on their own, if you consider them to just be, okay, that's just rhetoric, the, the effect that it had on people was the other side of what really concerned me. And so if, if I'm saying I want to make America great again, and I mean it in an innocent way, but it makes somebody else react in a way that's detrimental to the country, that's not good. And so you know, while you said earlier, you know, you don't want to make this into a political podcast, we have to understand that politics is one of the two great things that affects every person. The other one is religion. Mm -hmm. And ironically, we always say, don't ever talk about politics or religion. Well, those are the only two things that are actually going to affect somebody's life right. in, a, in a dramatic way. And so I don't shy away from politics as long as the conversation can be civil. Right. Uh, I actually enjoy those conversations. And so let's be a little bit political in the sense that the decisions that we make for elections and, and laws and all of these kinds of things, they are very important to our culture, to our people, and to our nation. Hmm. What do you think from your vantage point? Because, I mean, I noticed that, uh, uh, I'm going to say some edgy stuff here, uh, the, election, the election really bolstered. Uh, there was a time where uh, white people became very silent, mm -hmm. almost fearful of people of color. Uh, but something in the tone of this election has really bolstered uh, white people to the extent that now you have 
what you would call white nationalist. Mm -hmm. uh, those who would say that this is patriotism, uh, nationalism, uh, really, uh, you know, stepping up its ante yeah. and saying some stuff that uh, it's almost as if, uh, you know, political correctness has been thrown out of the window. And now we can just say whatever we want and uh, do whatever we want. Well, and, and I think that is another effect of the elective cycle. So in 2016, during the election, and we saw where a lot of the popularity that Donald Trump received from people um, was because he was willing to say things that did not fit the mold. And to a degree, we're, we're to blame for this because we've kind of cast politicians into this mold saying that they have to speak a certain way and say things the correct way. Some people want to call that political correctness. If that phrase works for you, that's fine. But it's, it's part of this narrative that this is how you speak. This is, it's almost kind of like manners in politics, which like a, is like a script. Yeah, it is a script. But he was willing to throw all that out. And as soon as you do that, there, there's always consequences to every idea. And so throwing that out in one way was a good thing because it did kind of shake up the election. It caused people to go off script and actually say what they think, and it showed us the content of their character. But at the same time, what that also does is it makes other people more emboldened. And so now they're showing us the content of their character. And so we see where a lot of people are willing to step out and, and say what they think. And in a sense, they're revealing themselves. They've been there the whole time, but now they're willing to come out and be counted and be represented. And they're, they're willing to step into the light because they think they have somebody in their corner. They think that the nation has moved along enough that they're able to be in the open now. Um, and so in a way, I'm grateful that these people have revealed themselves because now we can let them know what we think. And we can, it, it, as long as everyone's willing to be civil, we can have the dialogue and we can show them how bankrupt their ideas really are. But at the same time, we do have to be on guard because it's not that far to going from words to actions. And we want to be very careful with how that proceeds. Do you think that uh, the uh, things that uh, the president says uh, add to the divisiveness racially in our nation? I do. Um, it's not that I think he sets out to do that. Some people believe that he intentionally divides. I don't think it's intentional. I think that the, the way in which he operates, um, if you think back to his, his origins as a businessman and the, the kind of um, dynamic confident personality that it takes to be successful in business, um, especially when you're in kind of that high, big money environment. It, it does not favor those who are very careful with their words and very measured in their approach. It favors the bold. And so he's, he's doing what he's always done. So I don't think it's malicious. But I do think that because he speaks without really giving careful thought to his words, I think it does end up driving a wedge between people. But I also think that that's not necessarily his fault. 
we've also, as a society, we have divided ourselves into tribes, and this this sense of tribalism and you know us versus them, it doesn't really serve anybody very well. But we seem to be very good at it. So we're we're dividing ourselves because we're not willing to have dialogue like what we're having. We're more interested in listening to whatever news channel already supports the views we hold, and we're more interested in just trying to advance our tribe rather than reach understanding. Very good point. By the way, folks, uh, I don't think that Eric voted for him, but if he did, that's his business. But uh, this is a man who speaks in a way that uh, he, he sees the good, <clears throat> even when some of us don't want to see the good in other people. Uh, I, I, I just want to say this right here, that I have nothing against Trump. I just don't like him. But, uh, you know, that's, again, that's for another conversation. I know that uh, here within uh, the last year, there has been uh, this thing with uh, Kaepernick yeah. and taking the knee. And uh, it all started. He said it, that it had nothing to do with the flag. Yep. He was not trying to disrespect our national anthem. He was not in any way wanting to disrespect uh, the veterans that have given their lives uh, for this country or served this country. Uh, but yet the narrative somehow is being changed into something that it was not about. So yeah. Cap took a knee because of police brutality. Yeah. And now it's being turned into uh, disrespect for the flag, disrespect for vets, and disrespect against our national anthem. Yeah. Share, share what you think about that. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is I'm actually not a big sports fan at all. About the closest I get to it is I enjoy hockey, which is sort of an odd thing for a southern boy. But... Um, Football is just sort of a, it's not even on my radar. Mm -hmm. So when I start seeing a, a bunch of stuff about football on, on my Facebook feed or, or other social media, there's a point at which I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But I started seeing all of this stuff about this guy, you know, Colin Kaepernick. And for, so first thing I had to do was find out, you know, who is this guy? I didn't even know who he was or what team he was on or anything. I knew enough that when I saw the jersey, I could tell he was a 49er, um, but that was it. And so I started kind of looking at wh what everybody was saying, and it really struck me as odd that uh, a lot of people were so upset about what he was doing and not upset about why he was doing it. Hmm. And so... It, in case you know it's not obvious from the way I speak, I'm I'm very interested in ideas. I'm very interested in hearing from people and and sort of measuring idea against idea. Um, I I love discussion and dialogue, and I love the the marketplace of ideas. If your idea is better than mine, then I want, I want to take what I can take from that because I, I love good ideas. So this idea of um, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying because of how you're saying it, it just sort of seemed a little weird to me. And it also seemed weird that the, the predominant idea, at least on my Facebook page, was... Um, 
you need to stop doing what you're stop doing what you're doing, stop saying what you're saying because I don't like it. Hmm. And I it just seemed a little odd to me because we have this thing called the First Amendment hmm. that, you know, yes, the Constitution is there to protect the rights we have from the government. And so the government was not the one saying that he couldn't speak. As, as his employer, the NFL can set rules for his conduct, but traditionally the NFL has not done that much with people's conduct or speech. And we, we can look at multiple examples over the years of people who have done and said just horribly egregious things, and they've not really gotten in very much trouble. About the worst trouble anybody got in was when Michael Vick got convicted on animal cruelty. Isn't it interesting how we have a much easier time getting somebody in trouble for being mean to an animal than being mean to their girlfriend or wife, hmm. uh, especially, you know, the incident in the elevator? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's, let's just set that aside for a moment. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing kind of exploded on social media. And at the time, I was just like, yeah, whatever, it's football, I don't really care. But then, as you mentioned, as we get further in and we're talking about the election and we're talking about the state of, of relationships between the races in our nation, uh, and things started getting more and more volatile. And even, even among my friends that I, I know are believing Christians, I started seeing this whole thing. The narrative was being forced into a different track. It's all about, you know, patriotism, respect for the flag, and respect for veterans. Um, you know, and the thing is, the flag is a symbol. The flag symbolizes the nation, which was based on the idea of freedom and the idea that each person is given rights and responsibilities, not by the government, but by God. Mm -hmm. And so why would we be upset at someone exercising the freedom that is symbolized by the flag? Why would we consider that to be disrespectful? If the only thing we ever do with our patriotism is to talk about how great it is, and the only thing we say about our nation is to talk about how great it is, and we never talk about the problems that it has and the things that we need to make better, that's not patriotism. Patriotism is reflected in how willing you are to do something to either protect what you have already gained or to make what you have better. Hmm. So, obviously... Uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, took a knee because uh, at first he sat down and he ended up speaking with a Green Beret, yeah. a soldier who said that uh, kneeling would probably be more respectful than doing that. He heeded uh, yeah. the advice that he was given by that soldier and uh, because he, in no way did he want to disrespect. Yeah. But uh, I think that we need to backtrack a little bit uh, before we even get into this conversation about Kaepernick, uh, Kaepernick, his issue was about police brutality. Yeah. 
And we if, have this... If I remember the timing right, he started his protest by by first sitting and then taking Correct. a knee immediately after the Michael Brown shooting in St. Louis Correct. or Ferguson. Right. And so, you know, he, he really wanted to pinpoint, he wanted to use his platform to raise awareness, uh, which if anybody was not aware of it, then you either had to be blind, deaf, and... Uh, yeah. And for those that didn't speak out against it, dumb, in the sense that, uh, you know, obviously mute. mute. Uh, but uh, why, why do you think it is that, uh, for the most part, and I'm going to, again, say something, white people are having a hard time acknowledging the fact that there is police brutality. Because, you know, uh, if a black person or a person of color calls out police brutality, uh, you know, well, you guys are, it's almost like they're, they're, they're pegged. We, people of color, are pegged as part of the problem. Mm -hmm. But then white people will kind of take the side of the, and not all police are, are bad. Not all. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, it, it's like that, that, that statement or the saying that one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. And that goes on both sides. Yeah. But why is it that white people will tend to say there is no such thing as police brutality? Uh, let's let's make sure that blue lives matter, yeah. or all lives matter, but get upset about black lives matter. Yeah. Well, and and I'm certainly no spokesperson for the white race. Yeah, but today you are because you're the white guy in my kitchen. That's true, and we can talk about that as well. And that's that's one of the reasons why white people resist. They're not used to this idea that as soon as you walk into the room, you represent your race. You represent your culture. You represent your, your skin color. We're not used to that because we live in a white dominant society. So we get to the privilege of being individuals. And so as soon as somebody comes up to this conversation and, and pointing out that you know, there is a problem, we will immediately internalize that because now you're not talking about white people in the generic. You're talking about me mm. because I'm an individual. I get that privilege. That's one of my privileges is that I'm always an individual. I, I like that you say that because when I go into a room being a Puerto Rican, it's not, uh, Sammy, you, the Puerto Rican, it's, I'm always addressed as you Puerto Ricans. Exactly. And so I like the way that you said that. Why do you think white people can do that? They can separate themselves from the identity at large to making themselves just an individual. Well, I mean, that's, that's the culture we're in. So because when, of dominant culture? Yeah. As, as part of the dominant culture, um, it's, it's like you can't, you can't ask fish about why their world is wet. Hmm. It's just their world. Hmm. So... You, it's hard for me, I mean, and it, it's taken me a lot of years to even be to the point where I can recognize some of these things, much less talk about them. And, and I don't get it right by any stretch. You know that just in the conversations we've had and you catch me saying stupid crap all the time that comes out of my uh, very white world and my very white culture that I don't even think about it, but it's inherently offensive. Uh, so it's not like I've got a handle on this. It's a process that I'm trying to work through. Uh, but 
for a lot of people that they have not they've not considered how how do they know what they know about the world around them how do they how do they fit in to this society and it's because of the way the society is structured um, we don't even think about some of these things that's why there's so much resistance to the entire concept of white privilege they don't even recognize that it's privilege talk about that talk about white privilege talk about white privilege um, to be honest I prefer to talk about labels okay um, not because there's anything wrong with the idea of white privilege but especially when I'm having conversations with um, with my white friends I find that the concept of labels both it resonates with them a little better uh, but it also kind of puts things in a way that they can understand more easily not that it's a difficult concept but it breaks down some of the resistance so um, there is a narrative to the dominant culture and we talk most you and I about how that plays out in terms of race and, and nationality but it extends to a lot more than that so the dominant narrative is white male um, heterosexual. heterosexual and it even extends into things like athleticism um, appearance socioeconomic status you know, all of these kinds of things so when I describe my experiences growing up in the 70s as the kid who was sick a lot who spent a lot of time indoors didn't do a lot of sports didn't do a lot of outdoor play did a lot of inside hobbies read a lot of books I mean you know let's face it I, I'm I'm a nerd and so in the 70s that was a lot bigger deal than it is here in 2017 because now the internet has taken over and I have my revenge over all my friends that thought I was just a computer nerd. Yeah, instead of Planet of the Apes, now it's Planet of the Nerds. Planet of the Nerds. But in the 70s and 80s, as I'm growing up through grade school, middle school, and high school, uh, to be an intellectual, non-athlete, you know, that, that was not a good thing. And so, to the extent that you don't fit the narrative, in whatever way that may be, those are the areas where the society is going to try to push you down to elevate others up. The downside is that even for those who fit that narrative, it actually is detrimental to them as well. Because they're, if they're on top, they're, they're having to worry about staying on top. If you're not on top, you know you're not on top, and you you know you either make your peace with it or you do what you've got to do to get higher up on the ladder. But as you talk about labels, it, it helps people understand because everybody has run afoul of that at some point. So you know women understand that they don't fit that narrative because they're women. Um, and, and that's, you know, my son even asked the question once. He's like, why is it that it's okay for a woman to dress more like a man, but as soon as a man dresses a little bit more effeminate, he, now he's, he's, you know, chastised or whatever? And I said, because that's part of the narrative. If the narrative is for the male to be the top, the pinnacle, 
then for a woman to dress like a man is to make her more fit the narrative. I know that right now uh, the we still see the narrative of the dominant white culture yeah. uh, bucking against uh, people of color, speaking out against discrimination, yeah. against ill treatment. Uh, do you think that the narrative will change in our lifetime? <laughs> that's that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? Um, to be honest, I, I struggle with that. Um, I go through periods of, of real you know kind of hopelessness that it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to change. Um, from a from a biblical perspective, I can read back in my Bible and going back thousands and thousands of years to some of the stories that took place back then, and I see the same kind of thing going on in those societies. And this is half a world away and thousands of years ago and in a completely different cultural context. And we still see where people really struggled with you know, getting along between nations and cultures and even the, the struggle between the genders. Um, and so in some ways it's kind of depressing because it doesn't seem like it's getting better. Now, as a Christian, I see where you know, my hope is in Christ. And as I, as I speak to people about the love of God as revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, I know that there is hope that we can be reconciled both to each other and to God. Um, but at the same time, even after we come to Christ, we're living our Christian life in the context of a society and a culture. And so, is it ever going to change? I don't, I don't think it will ever be completely changed until Christ's second coming. Uh, when he comes back, we know that he will put all things to right, and that includes the relationship between the races. Uh, you said something there about uh, you know, reconciliation. Uh, and uh, the, the, the fact that there's a re there means that there was conciliation in the first place. And so because we've never had conciliation in our country, uh, you know, it, it has always been built on the uh, precept of dominant culture. And men like myself uh, are considered three-fifths of a man because I'm not a white man. And uh, what should we as Christians, as believers in Christ, be doing. I know that for some, uh, these conversations that I have, uh, I've been called uh, one to incite division, to add, you know, fuel to the divisiveness that we see in our country. Uh, I'm called an instigator. I see you smiling there. Uh, You're stirring the pot. Well, Sammy. you know, but I think that you know, if anybody should be leading the charge in seeking first conciliation mm -hmm. you know we're not even unified yet uh in this sense uh, why do you think and, and we're going to keep on going here why do you think it is that the people that elected trump were predominantly white evangelicals and the people that are probably having the biggest fit about conciliation are white, white evangelicals, evangelicals 
who believe in the same Christ that you and I do. Where, where's, the, where's the disconnect? And I'm sorry that I'm putting you on the spot for this, but again, you're the only white guy in the room today. So, <laughs> um, Well, boy, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? <laughs> um, and, and I actually, I want to go back for just a second because I don't know that I ever fully answered your question before because mm -hmm. we were talking about why there's so much resistance mm -hmm. among white people in, in some of these conversations. And it all kind of goes together in the same, the same thing. So when, as a white person, and I'm going to try and, and kind of take myself back to where I was years ago. Um, as a white person, looking at the world around me and having, having been raised by good people. I mean, you know, my mom, my grandmother, all of these people who raised me are all wonderful people, godly people love Christ, um, you know, it's not that I'm trying to throw them under the bus, but... I hear the, I hear the beeping, though, so go ahead. Yeah, um, <laughs> but we have to recognize that each one of us is a sinner. Mm -hmm. We do not... Um, we do not have complete command over everything that we think and say and do. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, well, let me take that back. We have complete command over what we say and do. The way that we think, though, is, is so shaped by the way we're raised and the culture in which we're raised. A lot of this is passed down without being explicitly taught. Mm. And so when when I think back to the way I was raised in the South as a white man, there were a lot of attitudes that I held and, and held very closely that when I look at them today, I'm, I'm pretty horrified. Hmm. But it's not that it was taught to me in a malicious way. It's simply absorbed. Hmm. Um, no one sat me down and instructed me in my superiority as a white man. Hmm. But it was very definitely passed on. And so, um, as Christians, even though we are reading the same Bible as, as every other Christian around the world, and even though we're reading these stories that are centered around a Jewish man who was, you know, I don't know why all these pictures show Jesus with this lovely milky white skin, but Jesus was not a white guy. Um, but we see this kind of Eurocentric Jesus uh, that ironically, you know, there's even a thing now that you know, kind of says that the the European cultures are the lost tribes of Israel, and I don't even understand where that comes from. Where, how do you figure on that? But that's another conversation. Um, you know, we can read the same Bible, we can read these same verses, 
but when a white person comes to this this verse of there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, we read that as y'all can be like us. Hmm. Um, you took it, it to y'all. Well, I mean, right, Southern man. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it never goes the other way. So even in that, because of the dominant culture, even when we read a, uh, you know, the Bible, we tend, and when I say we, white dominant culture tends to take it and put it in its own dominant narrative mm. to state that. Uh, yeah. So but, but Eastern, again, East, Eastern, an Eastern religion, Christianity, comes over to the West. And the West turns it into a Western narrative. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what started as soon as Christianity became like the official religion. I mean, that goes all the way back to, you know, like the third, fourth century. As soon as it started to become part of the government, you see where it stopped being about a movement and gathering of people and you see it starting to become an implement of power. And so it's, again, it's not that the people within the movement are necessarily malicious, but they are sinful. And, and I include myself in that. I mean, there's no, there's no hope for me to have a complete handle on everything that is wrong with me in regards to race or culture or, or gender or any of these things, uh, except that I trust that the Holy Spirit will continue to work in me to bring these things to my attention in their due time. Right. But at the same time, you know, you talked about uh, Christians who are supporting a political candidate in spite of all of this evidence that he's really not who they think he is, um, you know, there's, there's a lot still to unpack just within that because you've got the, the power play, um, the, going all the way back to the 80s when the religious leaders made a political deal to gain power for themselves in exchange for kind of selling the, the Republican Party as God's party. Um, you know, the, the joke is that GOP stands for God's own party. Hmm. And as a political moderate, I see that played out because I'm, I'm sort of the fish out of water. I'm not, I'm not really liberal, I'm not, but I'm not necessarily conservative according to the narrative. Again, that there's a narrative within the church that if you're, if you're a good conservative Christian, this is what you look like. This is what you think, and this is how you vote. And I don't vote that way, and I don't think that way. And so I can see it sometimes a lot better than other people can, but they're sort of going through with this narrative, playing it out and repeating it, and I don't think they've really given it a lot of thought. Do you think patriotism is becoming the uh, pseudo-Christianity of our nation? I, I don't think becoming is the right word. I think it has been for a very long time. The, um, the risk is that we stop recognizing the idols in our lives because they're so 
closely held and so ingrained. And so for a long time, we've held patriotism, um, even, um, even our church traditions to the idea that if you look at some of our church services and things where we, um, the way we celebrate national holidays like Independence Day, I've seen some church services for Independence Day that really kind of made my skin crawl because it was almost like uh, we're going to set aside Christ for this Sunday and we're going to we're going to celebrate our America. nation. You know, we're going to celebrate America and we'll get back to Jesus next week. Uh, that makes me uncomfortable because as Christians, I feel very strongly that we should be a prophetic voice into the political process and we should be a prophetic voice into the society. We should not be holding the society and the nation up as the pinnacle of achievement because Christ transcends nations and cultures and, and even all time. I mean, if, if America were to fall today, God forbid, Christ would still be on the throne. And you know, the glory that is the United States of America will not last. You you said something uh, there, and you obviously you're 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 helping shape the conversation. Um, I believe that the issue of race is not one that has to do with uh, philosophy, nor does it have to be. I don't think it even has to do with skin color, to be honest with you. Uh, I think that it is a stronghold. Yeah. I think that it is demonically influenced. Sure. I think that that stronghold landed here whenever the first ships landed here. Uh, well, and we, we look at how those first immigrants treated the native tribes and nations that were already here, and we see that, yeah, as soon as, as, soon as these nations came into contact with each other, we see problems. Right, and so there was, there was colonization that came, yeah. There was a forced Christianity that came. Yeah. Uh, and I label the, the stronghold, racism is a symptom. I label the stronghold white supremacy. Now, I know that some people get freaked out about that because immediately they see, uh, when, I, when I say white supremacy, uh, especially around my white brothers and sisters, they, they tend to think that I'm looking at them as if they've got sheets on their heads with cutouts for their eyes yeah. and... Uh, Again, because they're internalizing that as an individual description, not as a collective description. Right. So when I, when I think of dominant culture, when I think of dominant white culture, which this nation has been built upon, it is white supremacy. Absolutely. Whites are supreme. That's why they're the dominant culture. It has nothing to do with uh, neo-Nazism or uh, you know, KKK or anything like that. It's that the culture is a white dominated, so makes white supremacy the supreme culture. We could just as easily say it's male dominated. Male, you know, so right, but within the context of race, what do you think we can be doing? You and I are having this conversation. What can we be doing to, and I'm talking now in the sense of believers. And that's why I said earlier, you know, you've got the, the majority of the populace that are white evangelicals that brought in 
the current president that we have, yeah. what can we be doing as believers to topple the stronghold that is white supremacy? Hmm. Um, we, we recognize because of the, the historical accounts that are in the Bible, we recognize that conflict between cultures and races is not new. Uh, going all the way back to the first gathering of believers in Jerusalem that we, we read in the book of Acts where the Jewish believers and the Greek Hellenistic believers, there was conflict there because the, the Greek widows were not receiving the same distribution of food. And as much as we in the Christian church love to talk about getting back to that first century church, that doesn't mean all our problems go away. Right. You know, so we, we have to recognize that there is an ideal that we're striving for, but um, even then, they had those problems. They were able to work through it, and it's very important to see how they worked through it. The way they worked through it was it said that they selected men who full were full of the faith, led by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say they, you know, it doesn't say whether they were Jewish men or Greek men. I'm assuming just because I know people, I'm assuming that they had a combination, but we we have to speculate on that because the scriptures don't tell us. But we do know that what they did was they looked to the Holy Spirit to guide the way in which they responded to the problem. So in the church, we have a problem. And um, you, can, you can label it whatever you want to label it. But even within my own faith tradition, which is evangelicalism, uh, we are still quite dominated. And that's because of all these things that we've talked about. I mean, when, you're, when you're in a culture that is dominated by white people, even your church is going to be dominated by white people. Now, the church I attend, we are we're very intentional about trying to bridge those gaps, be multicultural, multi-ethnic, however you want to phrase it, um, but it's a struggle. And going back uh, a couple of churches ago, I was attending a church that was doing the same thing. You know, we're, we're trying to be multi-ethnic, it's part of our core values, we would have times where the whole church would get together for socials and we and we're looking out across this fellowship hall everybody's in their cliques and everybody's in their cliques and you've got all the you know all the white women are over here and all the black women are over there and all the white men are over there and all the black men are over there and there's no intermingling when when we were left to ourselves there was no intermingling and so part of that is because as sinful people, we're, we're going to be comfortable with who we're comfortable with, and we have to be intentional about reaching out. Would it have been easier for me to have found some white guy that I could have been an accountability partner with? Maybe. But at the same time, I was not satisfied with just getting somebody. I wanted the right person and the Holy Spirit brought you and I together. Now, 
sometimes am I tired and I don't feel like confronting these issues in my life? Yeah, sometimes that happens. And there was one, one morning that we got together and I was like dog tired and I said something and because when I'm tired, I say stuff, stupid stuff. And I said something and you called me out on it. Now, if I'm already tired, do I feel like confronting some deeply held bias in my own heart? No, <laughs> I am not interested. But my commitment has to be to living a life of faith by the leading of the Holy Spirit and the understanding that that's not going to be convenient and it's not going to be comfortable, but it is important. And so when we, you know, it, it's a very different thing to talk about my very metropolitan, uh, you know, multicultural church here in Tampa, Wesley Chapel, versus some of the churches that I've visited that are more rural, uh, you know, very quite dominant because, to be honest, there may not be that many families within an easy drive of the church that are people of color. I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what the demographics are like in those places, but I know that when I visit, and especially when I'm like out back hanging out with the guys that they're cooking for the lunch or, or whatever it is, and they're around that barbecue grill and they know that everybody else is gone and it's a safe space, and they just start talking casually, and there's stuff that comes out that they probably don't even recognize is racially biased. Mm -hmm. But as Christians, to solve that problem, am I gonna have to risk burning some bridges? It's not that I'm intentionally gonna burn those bridges, but if I'm, if I'm content to just sit out there around the guy's table while they cook and just be silent while they bring up these things that are inherently anti-Christian. Not that they're against Christianity, but they are not Christian concepts. Um, then I've failed. I am not living my life by the leading of the Holy Spirit. If, if the Holy Spirit puts me in that situation and, and with the knowledge that I have and the convictions that I have, if I'm willing to be silent, I'm now part of the problem. I know that uh, I feel this as a prophetic mandate to beat this drum because yeah. I do want conciliation uh, to take place between whites and people of color because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation as a church. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, the cause of Christ would go much further in our, in our nation yeah. if there was unity amongst all Americans, yeah. uh, whether they were natural born or were naturalized because of going through the proper steps of becoming an American. Yeah. Uh, Americans are Americans, yeah. but I have to set aside my Americanness because now I am a part of a people that uh, Christ Himself 
his is setting apart for himself the ecclesia yeah and so this is not my home yeah my my citizenship is now from i'm, I'm from heaven yeah. where christ rules and reigns from and so uh, you know I, I have to do my part now i i will say that uh, i'm glad that of all people that we could have that I could have had as a brother that would hold me to account, uh, I could have sought out a brown man like myself, mm -hmm. another Latino. I could have sought out an African-American. I could have sought out an Asian brother. Uh, but God, I mean, he, you were the one. Yeah. And uh, when we set out to, to, to hold each other to account, we, it, was, it was to hold each other to account to what Christ says. Uh, and, and it had nothing to do with racial issues. Uh, it, had, it had everything to do with, Sammy, are you living to the best of the ability given to you, or to the best of your ability given that God has given you grace, that you are endued with power because the Holy Spirit indwells you? What are you doing? Uh, but now we, it, it spills over into areas that, uh, you know, aren't just obeying Christ's commands on how I treat my neighbor. Because sometimes we think our neighbor is the brother that we sit next to in the pew or in the chair mm. at church. We don't think of the neighbor that is not even a Christ follower yet, yeah. may never become a Christ follower. Uh, when, 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 you know, now I have to take into account of my thoughts towards other people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know that... Uh, you know, the, the people that love my post on Facebook that are so brave enough to call me out in the messenger section instead of on the actual thread that I, that I put on there, they, uh, they, they say, Sammy, would you please stop? Go back to putting Bible verses on here. Go back to talking about love and all these other things because they feel uncomfortable not realizing that the way that Christ is transforming our lives touches everything. Yeah. Well, and, and isn't it interesting? I mean, the, the whole thing with the NFL, to, just to kind of bring it full circle, um, the whole thing with the NFL, when it exploded and more people than just Colin Kaepernick were protesting or, or taking a knee, um, the, the predominant idea was that I mean, there's the narrative of they're, they're disrespecting the flag or however you want to phrase that, disrespecting veterans. But the message was you need to stop doing what you're doing because I came here to watch a game, not to be political. And I, I can't tell you how many times I saw that. I wanted to get away from the, pol from the politics. I wanted to get away from all this other stuff. I just wanted to watch the game. And what that's basically saying is... All of these other things are making me uncomfortable. I came here for an escape from all of these other things, and now you're messing with that. Quit messing with my, my rest. The thing is, you're, you're trying to escape from all these other things, but you haven't addressed them in any of the other time you had this week. And... What, we're, what they're trying to do is have the conversation, and what you're saying is you don't even want to have the conversation. So yeah, the, the message is we don't want to hear about it, we don't want to see it, 
We don't want to address it. We just want it to go away. And that's not what we're called to do. Christ never called us to bury our heads in the sand. And the thing is that we're not, you know, that I, I love the way when in in First Peter when he says to to give an answer with gentleness and respect, you know, I always want to be respectful, and I want to be as gentle as I can be. I can't always be gentle because sometimes you have to confront people, but um, my goal is not to be malicious. So, you know, I always want to be considerate of people. And one of the hardest things I ever did was in a conversation that I had recently with my own mom. And, you know, she has some very strong opinions on things, but she doesn't have all the information. And so as, as Puerto Rico started trying to dig out from all of the damage they had received because of the hurricanes. And the, the conversation started about how deeply in debt the island was. And, and she's like, you know, and now we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I'm like, yes, and I understand it's a lot of money. But do you understand how that situation developed? And that's just one example on things that as she and I talked, she was learning that there were a lot of things she didn't understand. And in the end, as we're having these conversations, I mean, I made my mom cry. Mm. I don't, that's not my goal, is to make my mom cry. But if those tears can help her understand that there's a lot more to the narrative than what she's been taught so far, and there are good, valid reasons why, as Christians, we should be concerned about our brothers and sisters, whether they're in Puerto Rico or in another part of the nation. Um, in the end, I think that's valuable. I think that in the end, helping her to see that there's more to the story is worth that little bit of pain that maybe I inflicted and so as Christians, we want to be um, we want to be more invested in Christ and in our fellow our fellow human beings than we are in concepts of patriotism or nationalism or tribalism. Um, you know, we want to be pursuing righteousness because those are the things that will ultimately honor Christ. Eric, I, uh, as we're wrapping this up, I, I want to thank you for um, being aware after we started having these conversations that uh, at times, I, I didn't feel discomfort only because I, I know that uh, uh, because you're a pot stirrer, and so you, you thrive <laughs> I did, well, on that. Yeah, but I didn't feel uncomfortable in the sense that I knew that what I was saying, you weren't taking personal. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, do, I do. I have, uh, I have some stirs <laughs> and pots. Um, but uh, I, I'm thankful that you embarked on these conversations 
Um, you know, I, I want to make everybody aware that every time that we sit down, we don't uh, necessarily, you know, start off talking about race. Yeah. But somehow it gets into it because it's, it's unfortunately, it's in our face. Yeah. Uh, but we talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, but thank you for having this conversation. Thank you for not going, you know, Sammy, I, I don't want to deal with that. I don't, I don't want to have the conversation. I mean, you have, mm-hmm. you have come, you know, it's like, you know, you have met me at a place where a lot of people would be like, I, I just can't do that. I don't have time for that. Yeah, I don't have time. patience for that. Right. Yeah. And so I think that this is the beginning. This yeah. is the beginning of what I would call conciliation. Yeah. Uh, you and I are brothers, so we are reconciled. Uh, but uh, I think that for the vast majority of our nation, yeah. this, is, this is the issue. This is the elephant in the room. Yeah. And uh, well, and and I mean, there's a couple of things to that as well. I mean, I understand what you mean when you talk about it not being reconciliation. Um, But consider for a moment that what we're really not doing is we're not reconciling to each other. We're reconciling people to God. And if we are reconciled to God, then we will automatically begin the process of being in right relationship with each other. Right, but so as 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 races, as cultures, you know, we are not that is not our goal is to reconcile to each other. We want to be, you know, we want to get along, you know, what what's the verse about, you know, how good it is that for brothers to dwell together and brothers to live together. So, you know, that is that is part of our goal. But ultimately, we're, we're trying to reconcile people to God because he will take care of the rest. Right. And, and we're going to have to have another, another, uh, another podcast yeah. airing because I said earlier that you have people that have been reconciled to God. And they're not and reconciling to each, each other. other. Yeah. And so that's the issue that we're having in that this, the conciliation that's necessary, necessary in our country uh, when the dominant... The dominant uh, subset that elected the president that we have right now are white evangelicals who yeah. believe in racial rec- who believe in the reconciliatory process between God and man are not stepping that over into the life of I need to now set aside whatever biases I have yeah. against people of color and so that's for another show. Yeah, we'll have to save that one. Right, that's going to take more. Yes, it will. But if anything, I see what you and I have relationally. As men that are, you know, we come from different upbringings. Yeah. You had your upbringing as a, as a white person. I had my upbringing as a, as a Puerto Rican. Yeah. But yet we can set aside our cultural differences yeah. and say we are both Christ followers. And I'm going to hear your heart because I learn from you. Yeah. And hopefully what I share is something that you can take and go, Sammy, I think I understand now where you're coming from. And in that, as people begin to see the unity that is formed between a, a white person and a person of color, they go, wow, that's, that's unique. I see mm-hmm. these guys come away. And you and I have had it where people have actually walked up to us when we've been sitting at one of our coffee shops and go, hey, it's so neat to see you guys praying together. It's so neat to see you guys talking. Yeah. It's a sight for people. Well, and... and- at the same time, I want to give a quick shout out because it would not have it would not have happened in the way that it has without other people as well. And I know that you've had Russell uh, Johnson on your podcast. Mm-hmm. 
Russell is really kind of how this process in my life got kickstarted. Uh, there, some we could go into the history of it, but you know, because of the youth ministry work that I did, a, a large part of that was inner city, and I got to experience some of the struggles that that these teens were going through, just because of economic status or skin color or whatever, and so I had a little bit of experience with that, but. But because even that little tiny bit of experience was more than what most of my white counterparts in, in my ministry had experienced, they were looking to me as some kind of an expert. And I knew I didn't know anything. I just had this tiny little bit of experience. So I reached out to Russell. And to be honest, I think Russell was just like, I don't have time for this fool. And so I'm going to tell him these two books to go read. And he gave me these two books. And I read both of them over the course of like two weeks. Because as soon as I got started, uh, it, was, it was very eye-opening. And so it, no, none of us is an island unto himself. Mm -hmm. But my relationship with you is richer because of people like Russell who were willing to help educate me and get me to see beyond myself. And because, um, because in my personality, I am naturally given to this idea of self-improvement. That I don't say that to brag. It's just if I know that there's a problem, I want to address it. And I think in some ways that's kind of where a lot of people get off the bus is that it's like, uh, you know, I don't even want to see that there's a problem, much less do the work to address it. So it's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to unpack. It's a complicated problem because we're complicated people and because every sin compounds the problem. We're messy. We're messy. But that's life. Life is messy. Um, you know, and if it's worthwhile, it's pretty much guaranteed to be messy. You know, it doesn't matter. Art is messy, but it makes beautiful stuff in the end. And life is the same way. And I hope that uh, as, as Christ continues to, to fix what we broke and yeah. eventually we'll set all things right, this will be a masterpiece in the end. But right now, it... It doesn't look like much. No, it know. doesn't. But, uh, bro, I always end the show with uh, prayer. Okay. And so I, uh, and while I don't want this to feel like it's a, uh, a white against people of color thing, <laughs> uh, but unfortunately that's what's happening in our nation. Yeah. I want you as a white man who believes in Jesus to pray for other white people and other people of color to come to the place where they can have conversations like you and I are having and uh, begin to, if anything, uh, invite, create an atmosphere for understanding. Uh, no, no pressure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, bro. Not, on, not bro. only am I representing my culture, I'm, I'm going to be the high priest now. Brother, Is that you, what are, you're you are the go-between now. <laughs> well, let's... Uh, Let's consider that for a moment. Father God, um, we praise you because you 
are sovereign and you are perfect. And in all these ways that we've discussed, we are broken people. And um, we, I ask that you would forgive us for all of the times that we have dragged your name through the mud because of the way we treat our fellow human beings. Um, and it's sometimes we're, we're being mean to the people that are part of our own family much less the people who are not believers or who are not of our nation or tribe or, or whatever. But um, we, are, we are sinful people, and I ask that you would continue to show us your mercy and your grace as we do the best that we can. But Father, I ask that you would help us to do the best that we can because too often I feel like we are not doing our best, that we are coasting, that we are trying to be comfortable rather than righteous. And I feel like a lot of the time what suffers in that is our standing with you and with each other. Father, there are so many ways that our world is broken that I get tired just thinking about all of the things that need to be done. And so what I ask of you is that for each person who is a believer, that your Holy Spirit today would give them one thing that they need to hear, one thing that they need to do, one thing that they need to say, so that the process of making them more and more like Christ would be fulfilled for today. And then tomorrow I ask you to do it all over again so that over time each one of us becomes more and more like Christ. Father, there are a lot of people who don't know you and they're watching us and they're trying to figure out what in the world are these fools talking about. Um, but at the same time, we know that even for them, there is a need for us to get along together as people of different cultures, as people of different skin colors. Um, they don't have to believe like we believe for us to get along with them. And so I ask that you would help us to um, be open-minded enough to try to see things from their perspective even if we don't agree. We don't have to agree to get along. So, Father, I thank you for all the work you do. I thank you for my friend Sammy. I thank you for all the, the ways that he uh, pushes me to be honest in my life of faith. And I thank you for the way your grace continues to cover over all of our mistakes. I thank you for your son and for his sacrifice. Amen. Amen. Eric, thanks so much for being part of the show today. You're welcome. And uh, I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation with you. Sure. Anytime. God, God bless you, bro.